Welcome, everybody. Once again, you're joining us here on Baseball Biz. I'm Mark Carbett, your host, and with me is none other than my co-host, Mr. Brandon Noway. How you doing, Brandon? I'm doing pretty good. How you doing, Mark? I am loving it, living it, and enjoying the day. What do you do now right now, right? We're, we're in off-season. What comes up next? Well, you know, you got the hot stove action going on. You got some football going on. But other than that, it's a little bit of a slow time around the baseball world. One thing is, this is a special Raise Up edition. We're going to do a big focus on the Raise today. But first, we want to celebrate with Ms. Kim Ang. Actually, became the GM for the Miami Marlins. Good luck to them and her. Yeah, good luck to both. Good luck to both of them. And it's it's really cool to see all like the the support that came out of this too. Because you had people coming out of the, the woodworks to congratulate her on it and. Her story is really impressive when you look at it. Yeah, everybody really is coming out of the woodwork. But the thing of it is, it's because that woman just didn't appear and materialize, you know, out of some Star Trek just from nowhere. This lady has been with baseball for the last 21 years professionally. You know, you look at Kim Ang and she was involved with the game even back if you look at uh, when she was at the University of Chicago. She was the MVP there, man, with her college softball. Uh, the people there had nothing but great praise to uh, to share about her. Well, kind of give you an idea who Kim Ang is. When she was first hired as just out of college as an intern for the Chicago White Sox, Dan Evans was the one who did that. He was at the time, I think, an assistant general manager for the Dodgers. And I was looking over an article that Ken Rosenthal wrote in an interview with Dan. And he was talking about how she w- he went on for like 15 minutes, just very exemplarily about everything about Kim. and. One of the things that Dan Evans mentioned, he says, we, they were interviewing over 100 candidates for that intern job. And while he and Jack Gould, who was with the White Sox, interviewed her, they finished up, the, looks like I said, over 100 people, and they went to lunch the next day. He said, write down on a sheet of paper who's the most impressive candidate was. They both wrote down a name. They put the piece of paper down. They slid it across one another. They picked it up, and they both had written down the same name, Kim Ang. Evans said to Jack Gould at the time said, do you think our game, our department, and our franchise is ready to have a woman and support that woman in everything she does? And he said, yes. And I said, great, because I agree with you. And we went to the owner, Jerry Reisendorf, and the GM, and everybody agreed, and they hired her. So, you know, <laughs> this is for an intern, man. But she was so impressive out of those 100 candidates, and both of those that agreed on the same candidate, you know, they got full backing on that. And this was at a time 21 years ago, I guess, when they were the idea of woman being any part of baseball was probably questionable and head scratching at best. But the White Sox were good enough to see the strength of this young lady and all that she had done. And since then, she's done such more, you know, so much more. She's been involved with like the Yankees and the Dodgers and elevating within the office as an executive in each one of those levels. So it is not surprising to see Kim Ang now being offered the general manager job in as a Miami Marlin. Miami, I'm sure you welcome her as we do too. So, Kim, congratulations with the Miami Marlins as their general manager. And well said with her. I mean, I love the, the story of her where they read, wrote the names down on the paper of who the most impressive intern was, and they all went with her. Her whole life has pretty much been baseballs, and so – we see that she's more than qualified to do the job, and now she has a chance to go out there and do it. 
when you look at a lot of baseball executive, I, I looked there and say, "Oh, look, there's a hedge fund owner there. He's a he's a not only a hedge fund manager, he's an owner of a baseball team." And you look at somebody else and you say, "Oh, he's been in the business world all these years, but has he been in love with the game?" But obviously, with Kim, she isn't just somebody coming from the business world. She's coming from somebody who's been cemented within baseball, you know, before she even started her professional career out of college. You know, there she was as the MVP, and I think she was the captain also of that team. So she was a leader already. She was somebody already invested in the sport, and I think she's going to do great things for the Marlins. Yeah, and hopefully she does go on and do great things, just not against the Rays. Just not against the Rays. Yeah, sorry, Kim, because when that happens, <laughs> it's all about the Rays for uh, Brandon and I here on Baseball Biz. Well, let's go on a little bit more. Since we really said this is a Rays Up special edition, we got a little celebration to do with Mr. Kevin Cash. He's manager of the year. Wow. I mean, this is across all of MLB in the American League. Kevin Cash has been awarded by the Baseball Writers Association the manager of the year award for 2020. And it's really well deserved. Like we've covered many times over the past month or so. All the factors that went into this year, you know, you had the injuries going on where we had guys coming up and we were like, "Who, who's this guy? I don't, I don't know who this is. Had guys like that coming up here. And, you know, of course, the payroll stuff everybody talks about. And going up against teams like the Yankees multiple times a year, even the Red Sox. And they came up just a couple games short of winning the World Series. So it's well, well deserved. Absolutely. I mean, we think about who this man is, history of Kevin Cash. And we take a look at that. He was actually, you know, a Tampa-born native right here. So it's kind of nice having a, when you think of having somebody who's from this area who's the, the manager of the team. He, he also went to FSU. You know, he's playing as a catcher even then. And his career as a player in the majors began in 2002 through, I think, 2004 with the Blue Jays. So he was already in the American League. In 2005, he's with the Rays. And he moved around a bit from like 2007 to 2010 between the Red Sox, Yankees, and the Astros. Uh, Kevin played for about eight years in the in the majors. He had a batting average of about hmm, 183. <laughs> well, you know, and you look at catchers overall, you're generally not finding the best batting average, but he is performing. And as a catcher for the Rays, he had a batting average of uh, 163. But in 2012, Cash announced his retirement as a player, and in 2013, he took his first step into coaching and managing. He became a bench coach for none other than Terry Francona's Cleveland Indians, and he did that for a bit. So that was really his step up. And that was, it was interesting because when we were talking about Kevin and winning that 2020 Manager of the Year award, you say, well, how do you get there? And one of the things that, that I found interesting was the other night when they gave him the award, there was a question that Buck Showalter asked him. Where did that come from, that feeling? You know, maybe not being a frontline star player, but, you know, people miss that you were the best player on every team you played until maybe the big leagues. But did that help you along the way to understand some of the challenges that players face along the way? 
I, I think so. Uh, I think that's a very, very good point. Fair point. This game's tough. We all know how tough it is, and there's some really talented players that make it look really easy. But for the, the rest of us, it's a very challenging game that I think that we, we owe it to our players to be as, as patient uh, and honest as possible with, and and do everything we can to keep it loose. Because there's so many outside factors that you know I, I know I couldn't appreciate uh, in this day and age with you know social media, the internet. All the information that's out there right now, uh, I didn't have to deal with that as a player. Thank God, because I stunk. But <laughs> you know, getting all uh, our players to understand and know that we know this game's tough and keep it loose, I hope that goes a long way. So now, Brandon, hearing that, hearing Showalter's question to him, and not so much complimentary about is a, is a player in major leagues, uh, you know, wasn't necessarily his, at his greatest, but he had been. And so I guess some of the minors he's really, really shown. But Show Walters was asking what? It did that experience in the majors, maybe by not being the greatest player, did that give you some extra insight or ability to work with your players? It, it seems like a bit of like a backhanded compliment along along the way of getting to that question, but I honestly think it really does help you because you always see, you know great players don't always come out to be great coaches because they think it's, hey, my way worked for me. It made me one of the greats. Everybody should do it this way or, or something along those lines. And it comes to somebody like Cash who, you know, wasn't the greatest player. As we can see, no no disrespect to him. He's a major league player, but <laughs> it, it kind of, like, it keeps him humble. Like, you can relate more to everybody on the team. And they're not just like, hey, my way works. It's my way or the highway. It's kind of like he's more well-rounded. There's no doubt about that. And when you look at Showalter, I think he's kind of well-rounded, too, in another way. But the, the thing of it with Kevin, you're right. He's he's had that experience. He's had the ups and he's had the downs with it as far as like between minors and majors. And he stuck with it, man. I mean, you figure it with you think that he was OK as a catcher and who who survives is OK. He obviously did. He was a, a little above and beyond that. But what his tenacity, and I'd say that also about Kim Ang, somebody who's so invested in this game, they're going to do whatever it takes. And having been well-grounded, we'll talk about that in a minute too. But if we would just take it, let's take a step away. So now he's won that 2020 Manager of the Year Award from the Baseball Writers Association. And we talked about him as a player. So how did he evolve to this manager year? What did, what did that mean? I mean, he began his career, I guess, really back in, let's see. Da, 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 da. He began his professional career as bench coach. They were saying for, for Tony uh, Frank on with Cleveland Indians for two years after he retired from being a player. Now, what did that look like? Well, in 2015, Kevin found an opportunity to succeed Joe Madden as the manager for the Tampa Bay Rays. You're, you're looking at this and saying, okay, Joe, Joe's going off to the Cubs, and they've had some, looked really good, you know, some things that Joe did. But I think, what didn't Joe take a few players with him, too? As a Zobrist, I believe, one of the ones that everybody's always beating her chest. Oh, he's one of the greatest players of all time. So Joe left, and he also took a few things with him. So Cash has kind of got to rebuild a little bit. So 2015, in his first year, his win-loss record, he only won, only won, 49% of the games. Eh, you know, it's, by the way, you'll look at another metric, too, just for fun. 
In 2015, he was ejected three times. In 2016, his win-loss record went down to 42%. Then after that, it started picking up again. 2017, he didn't break 50, but he was at 49%. He came back in 2018 at 5.56 as the winning average. 2019, just shy of 60, he would fit 5.93. And in this 2020 crazy year, with 60 games, Kevin took the raise to 6.67 in their wins. So. 40 wins, 20 losses, huge, and took the AL pennant. So I want to salute him all the way through this. Kevin has done fantastic things as a manager. He's done a lot of things for the morale of that team. As you were talking about being well-rounded, I think that gives him the opportunity to communicate with those players and the other coaches as well. Yeah, and going back to what you were saying earlier, when he took over for Madden, that was kind of like a teardown at the time of the organization, they were going into another rebuild. And when they brought cash in, it was sort of like, we're going to bring you in and we're going to have these young guys come up through the system. So you guys can, you know, sort of grow together as they're coming up through the minors, you're coming up through the years in the majors getting experience. So when they get here, you have a few years and you can help lead this team. You know, that's kind of why I, that's kind of why, like, I look at the first few years because it was like a rebuild, and people were, you know, like we said, we were talking about earlier, people didn't really like Cash at the time. They kind of wanted him gone. It wasn't his fault because it was a rebuild. The guys that were that are here now weren't here. They're either in the minors or they were somewhere else. So, yeah, I have to agree with you completely there. And Baseball fans can be rather impatient. I know I am sometimes. We look back, was it last year with Davey Martinez, or I should say 2019, and how they were looking at the Nationals and getting rid of him you know, early on. I mean, here's the team that won the freaking World Series, but his win-loss record early on was pretty daggone weak. And if you don't give a manager an opportunity to turn things around, especially if the office is bringing, taking and trading players and everything else to boot to rebuild, and I hate that word, but I understand it, rebuild a new team, they have to give that manager some room to grow with that new team. Okay, let's take a look here, too, a few of things. You know, as far as Cash, some question his enthusiasm. I don't know. If they're looking for a Billy Martin who's going to go out there and kick up dust at the plate and all that, shame on him, because that's, that's not who this guy is. You're looking at... at Kevin Cash, he looks very deliberate. I know it's an analytics game with him, but I think he also takes kind of a cool and calm approach to the game overall. I mean, this year, we were, I was kidding earlier about him having three ejections in 2015, and a game with only 60 games this year, he had two ejections. <laughs> and, you know, uh, he backs his team. You know, He can be very fiery and protective of the Rays when he needs to be. I mean, much like he did when the Yankees' uh, Araldus Chapman threw that 101 mile per hour pitch at Ray, at uh, you know, was Brossel's head. Man, that was crazy. There we were in the ninth inning. They had we had they were going to get this thing. We were top of the ninth. That the Yankees were were uh, was it two outs, two strikes, and then you go ahead and you throw at the guy's head. Yeah, it's sort of like I was saying earlier how like Cash sort of leads the team by example, and you know he's like a Usually a cool, a cool, calm, kind of minds his own business, laid back kind of guy. 
like the Rays usually are. But that isn't how he ended that yeah, that evening. I mean, he went out there and realized after that the umps were just going to go out there and chastise Chapman and say, oh, we're going to give you a warning. You know, hey, you must have obviously just made a mistake. Intent isn't intent isn't really how we do any more than giving a warning. And, and since we're not able to tell what's going on inside your head, but Cash wasn't going to have any of that. You know, with four umpires up there on the mound and saying, here's a warning, and giving that to the batter or giving it to both dugouts, that was ridiculous. So Cash went out there. He got himself ejected, and then he supported his team a little more with a few things to say when they finally came to the press conference. I didn't know if they let the man out of the press conference, but he was very pointed. And uh, here's what Kevin had to say. Somebody's got to be accountable. And the last thing I'll say on it is I got a whole damn stable full of guys that throw 98 miles an hour, period. That's right. And period. Bang. Okay. He put the Yankees and he put Boone on notice. And while some question if that was the right thing for a manager to say, I think it was he needed to support his team. And this was a good way for everyone to know how he felt about what happened and how he was going to support all the young men on his team. Yeah, and they're usually, you know, laid back, kind of mind their own business, having fun team. But that was an example right there of how they're not afraid to stand up for themselves, and they're not scared of anybody, no matter, even if you're the the big, bad Yankees. The big, bad Yankees, yeah, and they're not so bad anymore. I mean, what you figure how the race took them this year. I loved how many times we took them out and said, guess what? Here we are, guys. You know, we're not going anywhere. Oh, we got players on our team with the Yankees that are hurt. I'm sorry, dude. Guess what? You're not the only one. Everybody did this year. And so I'm tired about hearing about people whining about that. During the earlier part of the season, they were experiencing some difficulties. But then as things went along, they had everybody up there. You know, they had LeMayhew, all the rest of them back up in the game. So I was just tired of listening to it. And, um, I'm sorry, I digress a bit, but I'll go back to what I'm saying about Cash. He did a he did a fantastic job, and as much as people give him a grief about how the World Series wound up, he got that team to win the AL East pennant. I mean, not just the AL division, but the entire conference AL pennant. And you know, you look at that shortened season, they coming up with those 40, 40 wins. That didn't just happen. Yes, he had some great talent. Took some smart managing to get there. So how does a guy like that stay grounded? How does a guy like that with everything else circling around him, how is he able to keep the pressure away? How is he able to to stay on top of this? Well, recently, Trisha Whitaker from Fox Sports, she asked Kevin that question. You mentioned just um, their reaction, but also talking about staying consistent. Is there anybody specific, whether it's your dad or Emily, that, helps you stay so consistent and so even healed for the team and the players. I mean, you talk about how important that is. Uh, well, I think my, my, everybody plays a role in that, in this house. Uh, you know, it, 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 Emily's very consistent. Uh, my kids are going to keep me grounded for sure. Uh, believe me, you know, not to blame, bring up game six, I'll go ahead and bring it up. But, you know, Camden and Nella were the first ones to say, why'd you take Blake Snell out? <laughs> Uh, they said it in game, I think game five or six of the ALCS, and they said it in game six of the World Series. So 
when you're getting it from uh, 14 and 13 year old daughters, you can handle it from just about anybody. <laughs> well, there you are. <laughs> While while the rays may be part of family, evidently the ones who can actually bring caps cast down and, and keep him consistent, keeping his his toes to the ground and understanding what's going on is his family. So I was really glad that was a great question from Trisha Whitaker. I was yeah, I, I really thought she hit the the nail on the head as far as a question, and his response was fantastic. Yeah, and there's all sorts of things that you know that could keep him grounded. You know, obviously his family who. You know, every, our, usually our biggest critics and our biggest fans keep you grounded. And, you know, maybe even that because he wasn't the greatest player, that does as well. And, you know, that he grew up here. This is home. So maybe, like, because he grew up here and went to high school here. And fun fact, he actually went to the same high school as my parents and Anne, but missed by a couple, missed by a couple years. But they did go to the same high school. And... You know, like if you're you're go you're you're big time in your own hometown, and you know Tampa's not like big city New York, but you're still a big deal. And you know, maybe being at home with his family, watching him every night, it really does help keep him grounded. I would certainly have to think so. I mean, and he's he's been you know obviously you're talking about a family, being a father and a husband, but he's also been, I believe, in many ways, like you said, a, a father or at least a leader with that team as well. And I want to say thank you and congratulations also to Kevin Cash doing a fantastic job this year. And Kevin, I'm, I'm really hope we have you for several years to come because I believe you are the force that continually makes a difference with this team year after year, even with personnel often changing and sometimes not by your decision. But, oh gosh, but talking about Ray's above and beyond Kevin again after giving him a nod and a thank you and Congratulations for manager of the year. I want to say, what's what's happening with the, the Rays? What, what's happening with that team he's going to be managing next year in 2021? It's, it seems like it's the usual, like we get every single year. You know, We don't know who's going to be coming back, even though we have some guys that are signed, like Kiermaier and Snell. We don't know if they're coming back, especially with the you know, financial restraints that everybody's going to have this year and even the guys that are free agents, we don't know if they'll be coming back like now Morton and Zanino. Well, let's, let's start with Kiermaier, and you were saying that first off, as far as him and Snell being on contract. So why why wouldn't they be coming back? What would uh, what would change that? Well, I mean, money. They're the two biggest players, or the two highest paid players on the team, and as we both know and constantly complain about all the time is the Rays don't like to pay guys. And... You know, Kiermaier's here for another couple of years. He, he'll make $11.5 million this coming year and $12 million in 2022. But he also has a $13 million option for 23. So has a couple of years left and you know, still in his prime. But that, he's honestly one guy I wouldn't be terribly surprised if they try to move. But I don't, I don't think they really should try to move him. We've talked before about there's not really any franchise players in there anymore. It used to be guys who get with a team, stay with the team for the rest of their life. And that's great for the front office and it's great for the player and it's great for the fans. But that's not what really happens anymore. I mean, we we lost Longoria a couple of years ago and I think a lot of people were surprised. I thought, oh, well, they'll move him up into the office. Maybe they'll make him uh, maybe assistant GM or 
or something along those lines, but that didn't happen. I, I, I don't know. So I, once upon a time, I tell you, absolutely not Kiermaier, but, but perhaps they will. We'll see. And Snell, Snell, you know, I, I wonder if maybe he might be a little dissatisfied because being pulled after game six is frustration. He understands the style of what Kevin does with analytics with the team, but I don't know that as a person he wants to continue to play that type of game where he could be pulled when he feels like he is really on fire. Snell to me, especially, especially with his situation that happened twice in the playoffs, it, from what just like looking at him and listening to him to a talk, it seems like he doesn't agree with the decision and the philosophy of that, but he understands it. And so maybe I think that like buys him some time, but that'll, you know, eventually wear thin like everything does eventually. And he might end up going in different directions over time. Well, okay. So we, we talked about those two guys. We got an idea of what hap- may happen with Snell and with, with Kiermaier. I mean, they could both be there next year or they might not. Eric Neander's been very creative in what he does as far as pulling that team together each year and what they're going to look like. So it could be a lot of things. And so what are, what are some of the other guys we're looking at? I mean, say like Charlie Morton, what, are, what do we see there? Morton is a guy that, you know, they they let him go and they're hoping to bring him back cheaper, you know, maybe in eight to 12 million range of what Mark Topkins said in one of his articles. And he also wrote that Robbie Ray, who had a 6.62 ERA and only 12 starts with the Diamondbacks and Blue Jays, he signed a one-year, eight million dollar deal. Oof. While Morton, he's had, he had, he didn't have his greatest year, but it was a bit better than Robbie Ray's. Who, with Morton, he only pitched nine games, but went two and two with a four seventy-five ERA. And we also see guys out here agreeing to offer sheets with, that are in the eighteen million dollar range. So, if they want to bring Morton back, it might have to cost them a a bit more than $8 million. Yeah, and Charlie Morton is a draw. I mean, he's going to bring people to watch the game, and if the stands ever open up again, you know, they would certainly be there to see him as well. I, you know, he's, he's a great talent, but I don't know what they're going to do. But I think you're right. Morton, Morton is, is a great asset to the team, but we don't know what these guys are going to do. So let's now that you're talking about the pitcher, what's happening with uh, what, what's happening with the catcher, Mister Zanino? Zanino, he's he's in the same boat as Morton. You know, they let him go, hoping to bring him back on a deal. You know, maybe half of what he had last year. And you know, he's someone I really do want to come back, even though he's not the greatest at the plate. You know, kind of like his manager was, but we saw him behind the plate, especially in the playoffs. Or how many games did he keep them in because the Rays pitchers want to bounce the ball in the dirt every time and he's just a brick wall back there sliding in front of him and keeping it in front of him and saving runs. So even though he doesn't have the greatest bat, he he does have some pop in it and he'll contribute every now and then. But to me, he's more of you know a behind-the-plate asset than at the plate. Yeah, I have to agree with you there because um, if you're looking as far as like his – you know, his batting average, and that's not so fantastic. But, you know, he when he hits, he hits it big. But what he does behind that plate, you know, he's fantastic. What he does there as far as being able to block. He's some, you see some of these other guys, and I won't mention any particular catchers. You see these little, they look like a thin reed, and you think, 
How are they going to catch anything like that? How are they going to block that? And he's fast too, man. Well, he be, be he's a little bit of a big man, but mostly muscle. And he is fast when he's like, get that ball. Or sometimes you know, even trying to, to get someone stealing a base. He moves quickly. And not only that, but who else do the Rays have that can be catcher? You know, we both thought that Perez would, you know, he could maybe be a catcher for another few years in the future, but he got let go. So we, who, who, who can take over as a catcher now? I don't. So they kind of backed themselves into a bit of a corner. I haven't looked enough at what we have in, in our prospects and our farm teams to say anything there. I mean, who are you going to pull up? Are you going to trade before we traded? God darn no. <laughs> Uh, I don't think we're going to get him back here because he can command a nice little piece of action. And But you never know. I, I don't know. So we'll see if Zanino's still there. Unless they have a really good alternative, I think he'll still be with us. Who knows? So what are we looking at with the rest of the roster here? Um, well, there are some guys that we don't know what they'll come back. You know, somebody like Renfro, he's going to get between 3.6 to 4.3 million. And, you know, he... He was a little bit of a disappointment to me, but I wouldn't mind bringing him back because, you know, he is a veteran presence. And he, he can both DH, he can play in the outfield as well. Yeah, I don't think I ever forget that play he made when it was over in right field when he leaped over that concrete embankment. Good Lord, that man's con- commitment was unbelievable. Yeah, and he's kind of like Zanino a little bit where he's not the greatest hitter. But when he comes through, he can... He can break him game wide open. I mean, he had eight home runs, 22 RBIs, and only 156 played or not, 150, only only 42 games. So a little bit of like a, a feast or famine with him. But, right. you know, that's the way the game is. So you, I guess we can't really well, kill him for I it. I mean, it was like, you know, while there's COVID-19 out there, I wondered if there was some kind of weird bug going around with the Rays in the World Series in the postseason because – the batting just wasn't there. And I'll be quite honest with you, I have been very critical of Renfro and also of Yoshi because I thought, hey, we're paying some big money for these guys, and the reason that we brought them here were for what they could do at the plate. And I, I didn't see enough of that from either one of those, more so from Renfro than Yoshi. But come on, guys. I don't know. I, I like Hunter, but I that's, if we're going to move anybody, I could see us moving him. And I don't know what the dynamics of the agreement with Yoshi are, but if they moved Yoshi right now, I wouldn't wouldn't lose much sleep. I'd like to see him develop. I'd like to have him. But if you ask me today on what happened last year, eh, I'd be ready to move him. Alpha last year with Yoshi, I was really disappointed in him as well. Even you know, I mean, paying him seven million dollars, and you know, it was his first year sure. over here, and. It wasn't exactly the smoothest transition, and I imagine that has to be a factor, I imagine, because you're human. You're coming to a new country in, in the middle of a pandemic. So I figured, I figured that has had to you know, affect him some way. So I'd love to see him back, you know, let him develop, but I'm in the same boat as you. I, I wouldn't lose sleep over it, but I'd really prefer him to come yeah, back Yeah, I think well. to give him a, you know, a fair shake, because 2020, nobody got a fair shake. And expectations for this year were strange. I mean, but I, I have no idea. I mean, you were talking a little bit too about the, uh, let's see, some of the other ones. Tell me a little what you got on some of the other players on the roster. 
We have guys that are going to make over 1.6 million. You have Chirinos, Choi, Glasnow, Margot, Wendell, and Yarbo. And they're also waiting on the Super 2 cutoff date, which could make Castillo and Yandy Diaz eligible for yeah. arbitration, I believe. And so, you know, they got to figure that out as well. And they also have an issue with roster space on the, the 40 man. And until spring training, they have four pitchers on their team who won't be ready to start the season. That includes Beeks, Chirinos, McKay, and Poche. So a lot of, you know, moving parts and big decisions that they're going to have to make over this offseason. Wow, Brandon. I mean, that's <laughs> there's a lot going on. There's a lot of people. There's a lot of moving chess pieces here. And Eric Neander, I'm sure, will keep us up to date with what all that it's about. All I can say is for this season, well, first off, I want to thank Trisha Whitaker for allowing us to you know, replay that bit that she did with Kevin Cash. That lady does a fantastic job. Anytime you get somebody like that who goes, has to go out there in the field and does the personality stuff as well, you're saying, okay, are, do, do they have any sense of depth of the game? Are they somebody who's just come in here and they're going to do a fluff piece? No. While she, she's very personable. She gets close to those people. And, I mean, I love the stuff she did before the season with the, the in the garage <laughs> in the garage when we were looking, you know, at Brandon and his wife uh, in there pitching the ball. No, I'm not talking about you. <laughs> Brandon Lau and, uh, <laughs> and his wife pitching in the garage, you know, preseason. She does great bits like that, and I'm thankful for her. So thank you, Tricia, for, for providing that to us here. And, you know, there's there's a lot of things going on with the Rays above and beyond this. Like I said, we're we're going to have to take a peek here in the future. I would like to wish congratulations again to Kim Ang being the new Marlins manager and also celebrating her 52nd birthday this week. Oh, man, it reminds me. Uh, Lisa, I apologize. I forgot to get your card in the mail. Got a birthday card for my sister-in-law. We'll take care of that. Anyway... Anyway, so Brandon, what do you think we should be covering up in the future on a raise up edition? You know, we have a lot of big questions around the raise, you know, a big thing that, you know, we sort of talked about a little bit over the off season is, you know, who's going to be playing first? Is it going to be Choi? Is it going to be Yandi or maybe even Nate Lowe? So maybe brush on that a little bit and maybe see who are future cornerstone players with possible big shakeups coming up over the next year or so. It's going to be interesting, so let's go ahead. We're going to pull our notes together on that, and we'll certainly we'll see you guys out on the next Raise Up edition. So, again, I want to thank Brandon Noe, my host here on Baseball Biz. And, again, I'm your host, Mark Carbon. You can find Brandon on Twitter at TheSportsBlitz1. That's the, new, the numeric one. TheSportsBlitz1 for Mr. Brandon Noe. And myself, Mark Carbon, at TheBaseballBiz. On Twitter. So thank you all again very much for joining us here today, and we look forward to talking with you again real soon. Special thanks to X-Take RUX for providing the music rocking forward, and to Trisha Whitaker from Fox Sports for the interview with Kevin Cash.